Welcome to the Conditional Release Program, a podcast that delves into the netherworld of cults, crimps, and con artists. We don't like these people in the shows. We believe the best way to expose them is to hold them up to a harsh light, point our index fingers in their general direction, and mock them mercilessly, take them down a peg or two until they cease to exist in any other form than the shit on our shoes. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoisted for tax purposes. And I'm Joel Hill, and we're both speaking today from the Greater Sydney Lockdown, which is even greater than Greater Melbourne's two weeks ago. Piss week effort, where we're being viciously oppressed by the state who have forced us to take two weeks off, <laughs> having the odd tin, sitting on our asses on the couch no. and watching the world go by. Maybe we'll watch a movie later on and uh, Jack will make some scones. Uh, it's horrific, Joel. And I'm not just talking about the scones, which could be used for fucking ballast in a container tanker full of abducted kitties. Yep. No, it's worse than that. It's the worst kind of discrimination, the kind against Gladys Berejiklian, who tried so hard not to lock down Sydney. Oh, and it was bless. only when she saw the tsunami of infections in the city and realised the contact traces needed a little while to sort the whole thing out. And she decided to shut the greatest city in the world down for a fortnight. Yeah. And we'll be giving listeners tips on how to survive the lockdown that essentially involve consuming a lot of alcohol with uh, benzo chases to of make course. the time go by just that bit quicker. Yeah. But hold off on those valleys, listeners, because we have a treat for you today. In our deeper dive, Joel has interviewed Australian Q researcher Hamilton Hume on the murky origins of QAnon, and we'll have that for you later in the program. But first, we need to get to this, because there's always so much of it. Yes, the vast feculent cocktail of shite that has been sweeping across the world in the last week, popping its head up every now and then in a brief flirtation with the 24-hour news cycle, and we've got every dirty, smelly little bit of it in the conditional release program's weekly news. All right, well, we start this week on a sombre note, mourning the passing of technology icon, libertarian firebrand, and cryptocurrency innovator John McAfee, who spent his life... uh, 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 Hold on, hold on, Jack, can we just do that again quickly? He was a kind man. He was a gentle man. No, No, hold on a second. No, 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 hold on. I've got the the wrong notes here. Um, So we start this week on a high note, celebrating the death of dangerous idiot, rapist and murderer, narcissistic bloviate, scat fetishist and crypto con artist, John McAfee. What a fucking cock he is. What a a resume. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Charming, charming man. So John McAfee became a household name after the antivirus program he founded in 1987 that bore his name and then went on to resign as head of in 1994, selling his stake in the company for a measly $100 million. Because McAfee, the company, went on to sell to Intel in 2010 for $7.6 million. Ooh, Aww. that's got to hurt. That's got to hurt, doesn't it? It's got to yeah. knock a man around now he's taking that kind of financial blow. That is very unfortunate. Maybe that's the reason why he's such a fucking asshole. So the GFC hit McAfee really hard, and his bank account went from about $100 million down to about four due to a huge investment just before the GFC in mansions around America. Literally Ooh. the worst thing you could possibly Ooh. have put your money into no, outside no, of no, like maybe Bear Stearns stocks. Mm. It's just, yeah, but like, look, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I fucking welcome the development. So it was around this time that McAfee fucked off to Belize where he had a group of prostitutes on retainer who were routinely paid to shit on his chest. One of them oh. was apparently 17 years young. Ooh. McAfee was considered a cryptocurrency expert and strongly believed that crypto would overtake fiat currency at some point. And in doing this, he claimed that Bitcoin would hit $1 million in 2020. And if it didn't, he would eat his own dick on national television. It's an odd sort of claim to make, isn't it? You know, it's- it is. It is. <laughs> It's a weird thing. Like, what a weird way to make. It's an odd thing to come up with, you know. You could bear your ass in Pitt Street. You could, you know, you you can say any number of things, but he's going to eat his own own dick dick. on television. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, right. unfortunately, it, it is actually believed that he died with his penis intact and Bitcoin did not make a million. So, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it is a real shame. So, in his Belize phase, he racked up a couple of casual murders and at least one rape, yes. which he is almost certainly guilty of, and helped mm. arm the local police with ridiculous firearms to keep them on his side and employed half of the small town he lived in to be his armed guards because he kept on making people angry who wanted to kill him and then he had to take up more armed guards to stop them from killing him because he's a fucking asshole. So, of course, he claimed he's made him a job creator and like a key part of a poor <laughs> area. Oh, he's just such a business angel. He's just like, what is with libertarians? Why are you people like this? And as a libertarian, he'd take a couple of shots at the presidency, you in 2016, he ran in the Libertarian Party primary only to be beaten by notable nobody Gary Johnson. And in 2020, lost the game to Joe Jorgensen. None well, of this matters, a, though. Not as, a big name either, Joe. Yeah. No, no, no one gives a shit. Like, so it doesn't really matter because let's face it, Libertarians in the US get like 4%. And it was, as for so many political candidates in the US, just a place to boost his profile and act like an annoying troll in front of cameras. McAfee wound up in Europe going from country to country, leaving misleading cues as to where he was, posting pictures to Instagram with modified timestamps to lead authorities to believe he was places that he was not. But eventually his bullshit caught up to him and he was jailed in Spain in October 2020 to be extradited to the US on failing to file tax returns and concealing assets on income he made from his various bullshit crypto scams, for which he was looking at 30 years in Club Fed. I, I think the takeaway message here is that you can commit, if you're a wealthy man like he was, if you, you can commit murder and rape in Belize and nothing will happen. Oh, that is so uh, true. But if you owe the IRS some money, <laughs> they will <laughs> hunt you to the ends of the fucking earth, right? Yep. So, yep. you know, I mean, the, the morality's all over the shop there. But, yes. That, that is the takeaway, isn't it? That really that, is the takeaway. Was, that's it. Basically, don't owe the IRS any money. You can get away with whatever otherwise. I'm going to book a uh, flight to Belize. But first, I'm just going to put my tax return in. You know, it's that time of year. Just going to sort that out yeah, just in case. Yeah, yeah. So how McAfee made this money for the most part was to buy a bunch of worthless crypto and hype them up as a big Next big thing online, yeah. usually through his 1 million Twitter followers and various crypto bullshit, current, you know, like you do interviews and shit, they would increase in value, he would sell his stake and move on like a grifter. He mm. also launched crypto coins in what's called an ICO, an initial coin offering, and he would hold a large stake of a worthless crypto token he just made up. And when it launched, sell it at a ridiculous price and continue his lavish lifestyle. This guy was a scammer at heart and he truly left the world a worse place than he found it. Major so, grifter. Major grifter. He's just a fucking con artist. So McAfee is said to have committed suicide in his jail cell in Spain, which makes a lot of sense. He was 75 years old and looking at spending the rest of his life in a US prison. You know, you sort of mm. will go out in your own terms. It's, it's very much a McAfee type thing, but it's not. Because with Mac- McAfee, nothing is ever simple. He got a tattoo on his right arm that had a dollar sign and whacked. And he posted the photo claiming, if I suicide myself, I didn't. I was whacked. Which he claimed was in subtle uh, response to subtle threats from US officials. Subtle I think, I mean, basically, uh, this, this sounds very Pauline Hanson. Um, yes. You know, <laughs> uh, if you're watching, you're watching this video now, it means I've been whacked. <laughs> I think she should get the tattoo, actually. So mm. this, of course, was not only his way of saying, I didn't suicide myself, but then he used it to launch a fucking crypto token of the same name <sighs> using Epstein didn't kill himself as a marketing line. He's just such a fucking drifting con man. Drifting from beyond the grave. It, it, it's, it's a special talent, isn't it? It's just fucking amazing. So more recently in October 2020, he said, I am content in here. I have friends. The food is good. All is well. Know that if I hang myself, a la Epstein, it will be no <laughs> fault of mine. Further cementing the idea that if he dies by suicide, it was a hit, probably by mm-hmm. a state actor or something. 
Make up your next fancy. Don't yeah. worry about it. And whether this is simply just a way of fucking with people or truly indicating that he was done in by state actors is just an absolute mystery. We don't know how he died, really. And look, let's face it, Epstein, yeah, maybe he didn't kill himself. Yeah, Spanish prisons, all that sort of stuff. Um, Who knows? I mean, I think you'll find suicide is the cause of death. I think Gaffey so. always said he had a dead man switch, an insurance policy to protect him from any harm involving those he figured will be out to harm him. In 2019, he claimed to have uh, 31 or more terabytes of incriminating data that would be sent to the press if he were to be killed. And vaguely said to be about corruption in governments, if he actually did have a file sent to the press, we are likely to see it very soon. But if it's all just bullshit, it doesn't really matter. Someone will cover it. My money is it was all a bit of a bluff from beyond the grave again. I don't think it exists, but if it does exist, let's face it, we're in a post-truth era. If there are a bunch of data yeah, files with complete nonsense matters. in it, the right people who he wants to believe it will fucking believe it. And I mean, this really follows on to the last elaborate stunt that he made. After his death, a large queue was posted to his Instagram page. It was about an hour after he was uh, said to have died. And it's unknown who posted it. And maybe an associate, like a social media manager, his wife or someone like that. Yeah. But it was obviously just bait for idiots. But it mm. fucking worked. But it was post-mortem on, on yes, the time Yes, it was of death. post-mortem. Yeah. It was, it was. So mm. to ensure that his death was as mysterious as his life, putting an obscure cue was always going to lead to wild speculation. We've got some idiots saying that his cue, which is just completely stupid oh and baseless. Mm. Many people saying that, you know, it's evidence he's still alive and he just paid off the Spanish that's the uh, thing. That's guards the, with that's Bitcoin. The, that's the you know? angle. That's the and, angle. He's going to be I like mean, Elvis. He's going to yeah, be like Elvis. Perpetually being found in fucking supermarkets around Europe. Like, yeah, whatever. So- Instagram pulled this page not long after to try and stem the brain bleeding something like this causes, but it's just too late. And now conspiracy dogs are running in circles trying to figure out what it means. There was a cryptographic <laughs> key in the image or some shit. I don't know. It's just all going to be this dumb puzzle they're going to be figuring out for the next few months until they move on to the next stupid conspiratorial nonsense. So for most people, realistically, this dumb cue is just an elaborate stunt by an attention-seeking kill man. Even from the grave. He's done it from the grave. Well done. Well done. It really is a shame we uh, didn't see John McAfee eat his cock on television. It is. Because crypto not only failed to reach $1 million, as he'd predicted, but it's actually had a bit of a drop recently, Joe. It has. We've been discussing this uh, over the past few months. Bitcoin has finally shit the bed, almost halving in value since April, sitting at 33000 which is still a fucking lot. But it's down from a high of sixty-three. And the general line from the media is that it's due to a crackdown on crypto in China. Bullshit. So Bitcoin relies on a huge amount of computing power to maintain itself. And a lot of this does come from server farms in China, which run on cheap power in remote locations. Weird giant hydroelectricity dams next to these giant server farms. It's fucking elaborate. Chinese authorities have swooped down these rigs, resulting in a huge sell-off of crypto mining servers and a drastic reduction in the ability to process ledger transactions on the blockchain. So in my opinion, this is bullshit. Jack, you've always said that once criminals think that Bitcoin is compromised, they're going to do a massive sell-off. And do you think this, that is a play here? That's that's what I'm thinking. Well, it's quite likely, Joe. We know that Bitcoin is a currency of choice for the black market. Scammers, traffickers, and corrupt bastards love a bit of Bitcoin. Love and it. At the moment, it looks like it might be traced back to them. They're going to sell big and move on. Mm. And well after the colonial pipeline money got recovered by the FBI, People are starting to wonder if Bitcoin really is the currency of choice for criminal cartels. And we discussed in the past that Endrangheta has an annual turnover higher than BHP Bilton. We aren't talking about a few gangsters in Adidas gear, but serious multi-billion dollar players. 
A seller from these guys is the kind of thing that would trigger the collapse we saw recently in the value of Bitcoin, or at least a substantial part of it. Absolutely. On Twitter, people are speculating that Bitcoin is compromised. One tweet said, Bitcoin has now proven to be garbage. The feds have now shown they can trace it by whom and by amount. They also want to be able to tax it and people declare it. It is the exact same thing as the dollar. Worthless. Ooh, yeah, I like dollars. It's They're not great. quite worthless, but but basically, she, this this uh, kitty, uh, angry kitty, is basically saying, you know, it's not, it's it, it has none of the benefits that we thought it had. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's got to play a significant part in the drop of the price. I think uh, so. But whether it shows a move away from crypto entirely or just a move toward another form of crypto is yet to be seen. But I'm not buying the China line. It's way too bloody convenient to see the FBI seize criminal Bitcoin and a mass sell-off occur not long after. Yeah. And I personally welcome the drop in value. Bitcoin yeah. is a scourge upon the earth and those that hold it are mostly corrupt crooks and really shitty people. Fuck them and fuck Bitcoin. May it drop further and with any luck fade into relative obscurity. Yeah, I completely agree. And speaking of relative obscurity... Uh, at the Conditional Release Program, we've brought regular updates uh, to listeners on the life and travise of Florida Congressman and Trump botherer Matt Gates, or Gatesy as we like to call him. Hold on, Jack. Can we call this Gatesy Gate? No, Joel, shut up. Fucking Gatesy Gate, for fuck's sake. But look, Someone's doing it, surely. But he stuck his head up this week uh, in a congressional hearing with what I can only describe as mixed results. Now, if we ever found ourselves as GOP congressmen under investigation for sex trafficking, we might want to get our heads down and wait for the whole pedophilia business to blow over. But not Gatesy. That's not Gatesy style at all. No, that's not the Gatesy we know and love. Yeah, earlier Wednesday, Australian Eastern Time, Gatesy made waves when he got owned by General Mark Milley, uh, that's Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. That's the highest-ranking military officer in the United States. Yeah, that, that's After power. claiming uh, teaching critical race theory or the idea that the nation has deeply racist roots, which is kind of undeniable in the yeah. United States, is, is somehow making soldiers woke. That's good on you, Gatesy, for... Picking up those conservative uh, tropes at wherever you go, yeah. That now that now the military's gone soft, they've gone woke. And oh, Billy yeah. responded, the, joint, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs responded that teaching it is a good thing, and that he found Gates's accusation personally offensive. The congressman's petulant response quickly became a social media meme, and rightly so. And Gates he, uh, didn't raise his voice to the general. <laughs> no. God forbid, but later in in the safety of Twitter, he blasted uh, the general, writing, with generals like this, it's no wonder we've fought considerably more wars than we've won. That was Gates. Talking about all the wars that he'd won. Yeah. Uh, And and just fought him, you know, all of those. The response on Twitter was quick and very, very funny. Poor old Gates, he uh, had left himself wide open. It turns out people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And when I say people, I mean Gatesy. And when I say glass houses, I mean a colossal history of drink driving and brothel creeping. <laughs> uh, Twitter had a field day with Gatesy, who just as an aside has no military background. He's got soul, but he's not a soldier. And here are a few highlights. I love this. So, Brian Tyler Cohen came out with the guy who spent years getting his daddy to make his DUIs disappear and paying child sex traffickers to get laid. Has some thoughts about how to run the military. Thanks, Gatesy. 
Well, Rick Wilson chipped in with your performance at the Battle of Teen Hooker Hill was masterful. No one could rival your courage at the final (laughs) charge of Venmo Ridge. And generations will sing of your bravery in taking the Man Act Valley, which is uh, the Man Act is actually the US white slavery (laughs) anti-traffic act. That was from Rick Wilson. I love it. Mrs. Betty Bowers said, that time a soon-to-be-indicted congressman who only ever fought Don Jr. over the last line of cocaine gets owned by a general so he calls our entire military losers. (laughs) And Kilgore Trout said, just briefly, buddy, the only war you fought is against the age of consent. (laughs) Oh, fuck, that's brutal. (laughs) Yeah, very, very nasty. Very, very nasty stuff for poor old Gatesy there. He's just doing his best. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, back in Canberra, we received the sort of news that keeps the crowds shuffling through the turnstiles of our federal parliament. On Tuesday evening, Northern Territory Senator Samantha McMahon was accused of being in a state of advanced refreshment on the floor of the Senate. The third umpire was called upon to pass judgment with grainy, hyper-magnified video revealing the senator looking unstable on her feet before guiding herself out of the upper house. Now, speaking on condition of anonymity, as many as 10 senators from across the aisle variously described Senator McMahon's condition as, and I quote, trolleyed, off her head, embarrassing and maggoted. The NT senator explained she had only consumed one glass of wine earlier that evening and had received some bad personal news. She later told the NT News that she had been ill. Mm-hmm. The real problem I have is not with the senator, but her accusers who have lapsed into lazy internationalist language and turned their backs on rich Australian colloquialisms. The term trolleyed comes from the English vernacular, where one is so inebriated that perambulating in a shopping trolley would be safer and more sensible than ordinary pedestrianism. It may or not have been apt, but it was not Australian. No, 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 Not Australian? Fuck that, man. Getting a lift home in a shopping <laughs> trolley after a big night out is dinky diozzy in my book. Well, I have seen it done, yeah. Fuck yeah, mate. Oh, mate, some of my best memory, half vague memories I've had, but I see your point. <laughs> Describing anyone who has lapsed into craplessness as embarrassing, who may have enjoyed a Lachlan Macquarie, that's an early settler, before becoming as full as a Catholic school, means the imbibery is incapable of feeling embarrassment. Only remorse, but that comes along much later. If embarrassment is felt, it is only in the eyes of the beholder. Gough Whitlam once described a fellow parliamentarian as, quote, tired and emotional as a newt, unquote. (laughs) And as amusing as that is, the term tired and emotional has its origins in the British Parliament. British Royal Navy ensigns were known as newts for some reason, possibly for their near amphibious lifestyles, and thus the Whitlam joke on this occasion belonged to another place. Mm. Australian colloquialisms feature a bounty of terms for alcohol intoxication at at least as many as the Eskimos have for snow job. At least, at least. Happily, I can say that maggoted is one of them. Good. It is a, that is a uniquely Australian term. The etymology is unclear, but perhaps it relates to maggot behaviour, which involves a lot of writhing without getting very far, which if you've ever staggered home with the wobbly boots on, you'll understand perfectly. Mm-hmm. It was not always thus, of course. The Speaker in the House in the time of the Curtin and Chifley governments was Labor member for Dally Sal Rosevere. The seat was abolished in 1969, but took uh, in the then working class uh, suburbs of Glebe, Leichhardt and Belmain. And Sir Paul Haslack, 
recalled seeing Speaker Rosevier around the back of the old parliament on a Saturday morning heaving crates of booze into the boot of his car that he snaffled from the parliamentary caterers. Australian. Textbook Australian. He was was quite the grifter, was Sal. (laughs) And as Speaker, his extraordinary capacity for, for consumption of piss was matched only by his capacity to conceal it and carry on the normal business of parliament. The normal business of Parliament extended, too, to a thriving SP bookmaker's business and poker school he ran out of the Speaker's office. Now, after the Shifley government lost the 1949 election, Rosevier continued matching his constituency responsibilities with a thirst it it said could have been patent in oil. Rosevier died in office in 1953. Haslack recalled that an Anglican minister officiating at Rosevier's funeral eulogised the former speaker in glowing terms. He was, the Reverend said, a great national leader and statesman, a devout Christian and a highly moral character. Labor wit Fred Daly remarked out loud, my God, we're burying the wrong man. <laughs> Very good. An excellent piece of political history there from our resident parliamentary historian showing that this country was built on piss, from piss, and completely pissed. Now, a lot of people have been very, very pissed in building this nation. <coughs> and now it's a segment where we sort the wheat from the chaff, the hard, black-pilled rhetoric from whispered gossip, a segment where we think, no, no, he couldn't have said that. It's too fucking stupid. But he did say it. Because he's a black-pilled fuckwit. And now it's a segment where we sort the wheat from the chaff, the hard black-pilled rhetoric from whispered gossip, a segment where we think, no, no, he couldn't have said that. It's too fucking stupid. But he did say it because he's a black-pilled fuckwit. Now, we did receive a listener comment from Paul DeCoy on the Facebook site, and we'll be using that next week. Also, thanks to Rob for his mail during the week. And any or all of our listeners could qualify for the conditional release program Stubby Holder, a stubby holder so fine, so beautiful, it could only be made by the hand of God, who sacrificed his only son so that the world could face its many sins, but he'd be buggered if he's going to let his beer go warm. So today's witch, black-pilled fuckwit, said that can now be called Rudy Giuliani is a fuckwit, but what? did he say to have his licence to practice law in the great state of New York suspended by five anonymous NY state judges sitting in the state's appellate courts? And today, Joel, your prize, if you get all three questions correct, is something you've always wanted and something you've been hankering for for a very long time. It's a law degree. A law hey. degree from the College of Chihuahua, a Mexican a Mexican university and panel shop, and I know that'll really help you kick your career along. So if you get it right, we'll have to call you Esquire, Esquire, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, Esquire, Mr. Joel Hill, Esquire, LLB, College of Chihuahua, Mexican University, and Chop Shop. And I will hear nothing less, <laughs> nothing less. So here we go. Question one: In Arizona. There is no evidence of any illegal aliens having cast a ballot in the 2020 presidential election. Only legal aliens that came on the Tic Tac UFO. <laughs> but illegal aliens, no. So no. There are none, no. right? None. No. No. But did Rudy Giuliani say there were, A, probably a lot, but the decimal neural system has become a deep and abiding mystery to me ever since I had the night out and the piss in the Ukraine. Yep, feeling it, feeling it. So he's just gone vague there. He's just He hasn't actually come out with a specific number. Was it B, way more than 10,000? Was it C, a bare minimum of forty to 50,000? 
or D, probably about 250,000. Oh, this is tricky. Um, I'm going to go with way more than 10,000 because it was about 12 that he lost it by, I think. Well, you're right. You're right yes. and you're also wrong because Damn he it. also because he said it was the number of illegal aliens who voted in in Arizona in the 2020 presidential election he said variously was way more than 10,000 he said on another occasion the bare minimum of 40 to 50,000 and went in completely insane mode he went yeah it's probably about 250,000 Oh my god he actually so, what a Fucking gronk. So, like, this is one of those shit, like, multiple choice questions they have, especially in law, they do this as well, where it's like multiple answers apply, and you're like, don't do that. Just make it one answer. Just make it one answer. But no, that was satisfying. Wow. 250,000. I mean, come on, yeah. man. Yeah. I could have gone That's with all silly. of the above there, but, um, but, uh, we haven't had I that. Like the I like always you, think it's a bit of a cop out. Um, you trapped me into a gimme. I liked it. It was good. Yeah. But no, I'm going to pay that. And uh, really, I think Mexican more lawyerhood. He's sort of, you know, it's well it's on the way. Inching closer. I tell you what, it's cheaper than my fucking hex debt. Question two. Question two. Rudy Giuliani said on one occasion that 8,021 dead people voted in Philadelphia. And on another occasion, he claimed it was 30,000 dead Philadelphians who cast a ballot. Mm. How many was it really? Ooh. A, was it zero? The dead can't vote as. You know, they've got that handicap of being That's dead. bullshit. That's bullshit. Everyone knows that's bullshit. P, two dead people who walked into a polling booth. Yeah, and said to one another, hey, it's chilly in here. Yeah, you need a bear. And Anyway. Yeah, yeah. You, to, you need so, a third person. You need a third party. 12 dead people cast a ballot in Philadelphia, or was it D, the same as Rudy's answer, divided by 300 to make his claims make mathematical sense in the case of the 30,000 figure he cited bring us up to about a hundred dead vote actually voting. So Rudy's gone eight thousand and twenty-one, and then he's gone ballistic again and said thirty thousand dead Philadelphians voted. How many was it really, Joel? Was it A zero, B two, was it C twelve, or was it one hundred? I'm just gonna go with A zero because I'm boring. Oh. You're just two out. You're just two out there. They two dead people walked into a polling booth. Two dead people did vote in Philadelphia. Oh. Just, just a fraction off. Um, that was fr- that was close. It was just close. a fraction off Rudy Rudy Giuliani's statements of eight thousand and twenty one. Yeah, and yes. just obviously a, a little bit further away from the thirty thousand dead Philadelphians he reckoned voted. How did he lose his law license? I can't understand the logic. <laughs> Thank God. Question three. So it looks like you may never become a Mexican law lawyer, but we'll carry on anyway. UTS will still keep getting my eventual money. Because we haven't quite conceptualised this this as a game show right now. We've got basically a dead rubber going on here. We've got a dead question, but we'll ask it anyway. It's question three. Rudy Giuliani claimed that in Pennsylvania, 1,823,148 ballots were sent and 2,589,242 million ballots were tallied. That is That doesn't sound right. That is more... That is more than 700,000 more ballots were counted than were sent out. That's what Rudy Giuliani said. What was the real figure, Joel? Was it that 3,080,000 
ballots were sent out for 2.5 million counted? Was it B, that 3 million and 80,000 were sent out for 1.5 million counted? Or C, my brain is fried from the hair dye that's running down my face <laughs> and I just pissed my pants? Yeah, that's what the nappy's for. Or D, What's a ballot? Well, I like the idea of D because it really brings up a lot of philosophical thoughts. <laughs> but I'm going to go with I'm probably I think I'll go with A three mil two five million counter because there was a high turnout. There you go, and you're absolutely correct. So Rudy reckons uh, seven hundred thousand more votes were cast than ballots were sent out. When the because reality was idiot. three million and eighty thousand were sent out. And 2.5 million uh, were cast and counted. Yeah. Fair. In Pennsylvania State alone. So there you go, Joel. You were so close to becoming a Mexican mall lawyer. And and look, listeners, I have to tell you, if you ever make friends with a Mexican mall lawyer, you will never, ever be let down. Uh, ask them to take care of your tax affairs. It's uh, a wonderful thing. What could possibly go wrong? Yes. <laughs> and we ask listeners to send us an email if they've come across something really, really stupid said by Black Pill Fuckwits. We want your input, listeners. If you've recently come across something posted that is so odd, so bizarre, that it can only be appreciated by the criminally stupid, drop us a line. We'll send you a stubby holder and some sort of TCRP tatter that I've got around my desk. If you make our lives easier and send us a quote we can use on the show. Yes, we've got one for next week already. But we'll need more. And we at the Conditional Always. Week Program understand that listening to our program requires a fairly large dose of intoxicants. And they're best served cold and kept cold. And the only way to keep your preferred poison cold is a TCRP stubby holder. The only stubby holder clinically proven to keep drinks cold. And the rest of them are just shit. I've seen a lot of them. They're just tat. Just tatter. So drop us a line, listeners, to the conditional release program at gmail.com. And now it's time to check in on our least favourite people on the fucking planet, anti-vaxxers, a scourge on the earth soon to be removed by open borders and COVID-19 infection. Best of luck, you fucking losers. See you in hell, bitches. And first we come to the stats, and 22.6% of the world population has received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccination. 2.8 billion doses have been administered globally, and 41.2 million are now administered every day. One problem we have is that people in low-income countries have, have, you know, basically we've got uh, levels of vaccination around about 1% in those countries, so we can see some problems starting there. In Australia, we're languishing. Compared to the other 37 OECD nations, we are in the back of the field. Australia is fourth last in front of only New Zealand, Mexico, Colombia and Japan. And in terms of uh, percentage of the population fully vaccinated, Australia is stone motherless last among OECD nations. Very, very poor. And now with Sydney in lockdown, we're going to see a savage hue and cry being directed at the federal government over their shitty vax rollout. Mm -hmm. There will be a significant political price to pay for this, and I think the worm may have turned for the Morrison government. We'll see... uh, We'll see about that. But uh, leading our anti-vax update this week, some listeners will have received some unwelcome mail from none other than Clive Palmer. Fucking useless. Now, Clive had a shocker on Friday when Queensland Nichols Liquidators, his uh, company that went into receivership, uh, they've been pursuing him over outstanding debts. And last year, Mr Palmer's lawyer successfully argued in the Supreme Court, Queensland Supreme Court, that 
$102,844,346 sought by the liquidators represented loans from joint venture companies and therefore did not belong to Q&I. But on Friday, the Court of Appeal upheld Q&I's liquidators case, and that means Clive has to pony up with an estimated $102 million and maybe more. And soonish. Ooh. And no cost orders have as yet been made. And Clive is also facing criminal charges of fraud, of fraud and breaches of the Corporations Act. Two counts apiece there. And that trial is about to get underway very soon, by the way. Clive's mailer contained the usual bad mass and deliberate misunderstanding of the difference between causation and correlation data associated with vaccines and mortality. Pauline Hansen has been babbling about this as well. At face value, both Clive and Pauline are making ob- obvious grabs for the anti-vax electorate. Rusted on anti-vaxxers got a vote too, right? Mm-hmm. And Clive's mail urges people not to get vaccinated, and that is f- not just fucked, Joel. That is fucking fucked. And I only reserve that sort of description uh, when things are really fucking crook. Uh, but unfortunately, Joel, this is... Uh, Done through uh, paid political advertising through Clive's uh, political yep. party, and there are very, very few controls over paid political advertising. In fact, our uh, major party, major parties, the Labor, Labor, and Liberals, they love it that way. So they Absolutely. can line their faces off in advertising and never get pulled up for it. So there are no controls, and that's and that's resulted in this. Yeah, yeah. This is the logical conclusion of legislation that allows people to say what the fuck they want, as long as they're saying it in the cloak and dagger practice of political posturing. Yeah, exactly right. So we can expect to see more of it, um, uh, absolutely, <clears throat> particularly from from Palmer, who's got his uh, got his problems, but uh, seems to shrug them off pretty easily. And uh, and keep hammering out this shit. It's an obvious grab for four or five percent of the vote. Yep, absolutely. And we look forward to on the conditional release program doing a eulogy for him as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> Meanwhile, elsewhere in anti-vax territory, the vaccinated are killing our pets, or maybe our pets are killing us. Or something, Joe. Jeez, isn't it just a fucking mystery? These guys, their brains just work on a different plane. <laughs> Idiot anti-vaxxers have found a new way to drop hysteria and fear surrounding the COVID-19 vaccine by telling bullshit stories about their pets getting sick from vaccine shedding. Of course, oh, my God. It's not them shedding onto them. It's because their pets have come in contact with people who have been vaccinated. So the thing Mm. here, the thing at play here is that pets hold a very special place in people's hearts. And this is clearly evidence in film when you can watch countless people being massacred by machine guns and you don't even flinch. But the second a dog gets shot, everyone feels like shit. I mean, like, it's a natural progression for anti-vaxxers to use this kind of narrative against us. What films films are you watching where dogs get shot, Joel? Mate, have you seen John Wick? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they shoot. Yeah. I have seen one of those. They shoot a lot of dogs. The dog gets done at the start, oh, and then he oh, has this righteous yeah, fury right. and kills oh. like 400 guys. If you haven't seen John don't Wick- Don't kill John Wick's dog. Don't kill John Wick's dog. Just don't do it. And look, look, I every single one of those Russians, I was like, you fucking deserve it. You know someone who killed yeah. a dog. Not even killed a dog. You know someone who did. So yeah. reports of vaccinated people coming in contact with animals only to die soon after- have been circulating mostly on Facebook because Facebook is full of idiots. And not only have the animals who came in contact with vaccinated people died from the shedding, but also reports of animals becoming depressed. 
Yes, vaccine yeah. shedding makes dogs depressed. That's One right. person blames stillbirth kittens on vaccine shedding, clearly having no fucking idea how many cats die in a litter. And another claimed it stopped chickens <laughs> laying eggs, which is just such bullshit. <laughs> so look, it just brings us back to the original point. I say it all the time. Anti-vaxxers lie. This is what they do. They make things up to justify their insane hobby cult because their aim is to pull on your heartstrings using illness and children to provoke an empathetic response and now pets. They're using fucking pets against us. When I get the jab tomorrow, I'm going to give my dog Lindsay a big old hug and she's going to continue being a woofy dickhead obsessed with tennis balls and the world is just going to keep on spinning. And we'll keep an eye on the health of uh, your dog Lindsay, uh, Joel, uh, as we go forward. In fact, we might yeah. uh, we might provide, uh, you might be able to provide us with Lindsay health updates. I will. After I you've will. been vaccinated. Still a woofy dickhead, still likes walks. I can't say that too loudly. She'll fucking hear me. <laughs> Don't mention that word. <laughs> she'll be. She'll run in here with a leash in her mouth. Vaccination and, and walk. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, for <laughs> and further proving that anti-vaxxers are the worst people on the planet. It turns out they're getting seriously pilled, seriously fired up in the UK. They're going to be they nuts over there. Really are they? It's it's unsurprising considering the language that anti-vax thought leaders use to incite fear and anger in their little cult. The BBC have had to increase security due to like legit death threats from anti-vaxxer groups that have openly discussed targeting journalists online, including sharing addresses and personal details with each other Ooh, on Telegram and using seriously inflammatory language. For example, one person said it's payback time and that if the police weren't there, he could and should have been lynched, referring Ooh. to a BBC journalist. What the uh, fuck? So due to social media... Not known no. for their lynchings uh, in the UK, but uh, look, uh, you know, not so long back. They were very, very no, good at them. Very, very good at them. So due to social media crackdowns, people have moved to Telegram and other libertarian nightmare spaces where extreme mm. right-wing groups have started inserting messages into anti-vaccine activist circles and radicalizing the idiots that join them. One group, Resistance GB, has 25,000 members. That is not fucking good. So the UK counterterrorism group Tech Against Terrorism has found an increasing overlap of anti-Semitic hate speech in anti-vaccine groups, which has led to concerns of an increase in hard-right extremism coming from radicalized anti-vax morons, usually soccer mums and just sort of like, you know, aggressive normies. But claiming we're all about to be killed by the Jewish New World Order through a vaccine program is obviously going to fuck people up. This is such an obvious progression, but it's still a concerning one. While we haven't quite seen this level of insanity in Australia, it's surely set to come. With groups like Reignite Democracy spending huge amounts of money and time scaring the shit out of people, it's only a matter of time before we start seeing journos getting caught in the crosshairs. And now it's time for the conditional release program. And this week, Joel and Hamilton Hume discuss the origins of Q and QAnon. This is a Bruce McAvaney special, listeners. So huddle around the crystal set and pay attention. So this week we have Hamilton Hume, a Q researcher who found himself quite concerned about his friend's delve into the Save the Children bullshit and decided to gently pull her out. And as he pulled her out, he kind of fell in and wound up going down the rabbit hole. I mean, a rabbit void. So it's a huge backstory on Q that he's unraveled through articles with hyperlinks and all sorts of spiderweb just coming together in these amazing medium articles that take about a century to read. We'll plug the articles at the end. We'll put them in the show notes. They're very well worth a read. And this is just open doors that I just haven't opened before. And to be honest, I wish I could close them because they are quite depressing, really. Your articles show this complex set of characters that 
come together to work on what is one of the most effective propaganda campaigns we've ever seen. So, Hamilton, uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Joel. That's, uh, yeah, that about sums it up. That's a good way of describing it. So, let's take the origins of Q from your perspective. Like, we've got the Cullen Hoback documentary where we go through with the Watkins, and you've got this parallel universe where operatives like Roger Stone are running the show. And look, I know it's a lot, but can you give us a summary? <laughs> Oh, I can try, I guess. Uh, so yeah, the simplest way to describe it is is that it's propaganda. Um, it's it's it seems pretty straightforward to me to me to, to, to look at it like that. They've been doing this uh, for a long time, and this is uh, the latest. Um, when I say they have been doing this for a long time, I mean operatives like Roger Stone have been doing this for a long time. Um, and you know, with the advent of the internet, they now have this anonymous platform uh, where they can say whatever they want without having to tie it back to the campaign. Now, we should be careful here at the beginning to say that we're speaking in general terms. You know, I don't know the, the exact level to which Roger Stone was involved with this. Um, the, the point is the, the strategy people like him will employ for their purposes. And there are a whole heap of, uh, of private influence companies who do this. This is, this is the products that they advertise, uh, social media manipulation uh, on places like 4chan. Well, everyone knows Cambridge Analytica, but there yes. were a few interesting ones I've never heard of, like Psy Group. Yeah, so that started by an Australian guy called Joel Zammer. Well, an, an, an Israeli-Australian guy. He went to UNSW at least. Oh, look at us doing our bit to ruin the world. <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's in there mixing it up with, uh, with Eric Prince, with Mike Flynn, and with Donald Trump. So, Eric Prince arranged a meeting for Joel Zammel of Cygroup uh, in Trump Tower with the campaign uh, during the primaries. Mm. Uh, they, they they pitched them on their services and then they got paid $2 million. Yeah. We don't know what that was for, uh, but it's uh, it was for, it sounds like it was for something that uh, certainly fits the description of what we now see as, as QAnon. Yeah, I mean, that's just pocket change for a billion-dollar presidential campaign in the US. No, I mean, it really is. It, it's literally nothing. We're talking about, you know, Saudi billionaires and everything. Um, and speaking of Cambridge Analytica as well, the um, main takeaway that most people took from that story was the, the data breach, um, how, you know, they managed to harvest everyone's data from, from their Facebook groups. Uh, but what often gets ignored is, um, is is that they actually create campaigns as well. They, they don't just take the data. They uh, specifically try to manipulate, yeah, they use it uh, to manipulate elections. Yeah. Uh, and they've done it all over the world for many years. That, that's, that's, that's what they do. To go back to Eric Prince, who is a real piece of shit, who basically sells mercenaries to the US government and profits from war, his old firm used to be called Blackwater. And that is a term for sewage. Yes. That is a term for shit, which is exactly what Eric Prince pedals. He is a shit peddler. <laughs> I loved I'm, that. I'm glad you appreciate that line. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Because like, it's one of those things where I'm reading these mm. articles with all these things I haven't seen before, all these things I haven't come across before. And I sometimes feel like I'm on a bit of an intellectual treadmill reading about yeah. QAnon because everyone's reporting the same shit. It's this circle of the same people saying the same stuff yeah. over and over <laughs> and over again. Seeing something new and having this new kind of conspiracy behind the way in which Q works is fantastic. And and little things like this just sort of brighten up the process. I found it really funny. <laughs> That's great. I mean, look, it's it's depressing stuff. Uh, researching it and writing it, and, it and you be. can sort of fall into a black hole. So I, I do have to throw stuff like that in to keep myself amused as much as anything else. And it's, well, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, I can totally relate to that because, like, it is depressing to read. Yeah. You know, it's it's fascinating but depressing, and it's like you know, things little things like that just sort of brighten up your mood while there you're you sort go. of staring into this like you know end of the world feeling. So you've got all these parts of the article which discuss Sakata, which yeah. is that alternate reality game, which involves the sort of gamification of reality and the blurred line between what's a game and what's real. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so again, Sakata is a fascinating little rabbit hole. And <laughs> yeah, 
But again, we've got to be careful uh, to, to talk about it accurately. So it was originally created, I think, back around 2012. But it was a fascinating, uh, a fascinating internet game. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, a, a series of puzzles that drew people in, and it was really highly regarded. It still is really highly yeah. regarded as one of the most challenging things that people have ever done. And it got this really great reputation. And they did it again the next year and again the next year. And um, you know, it was this really cool thing that a lot of people loved. Uh, and then it sort of started to drop off. They, they didn't come back the year after that. Then this guy called Thomas Schoenberger, you know, basically tries to take it yeah. over. And he was this guy who was a uh, composer who liked to sort of put puzzles into his music. He would use them to make his videos seem cooler. I mean, look, you can do a whole podcast series yeah. on, on, on the stuff that this guy has done alone. Uh, so, you know, he, he likes the idea of the notoriety of this kind of puzzle. Um, and uh, so he tries to take it over with his friend, uh, Michael Levine. They do the copyright. And there actually has been a movie being released about Cicada now. Oh, really? Yeah. And Michael Levine is, he has the, the something to do with the copyright with the production company that released yeah, or something. Yeah. If you go back through the credits and you'll see Michael Levine's name. Yeah. So this is exactly what they were trying to do. Uh, so we have emails from them talking about, you know, trying to create a film using this cicada trademark but the really interesting thing here is that because puzzles are so engaging uh you can use them um to affect people uh, in in ways that people don't really understand they can lose themselves in them yeah yeah, Um, a lot uh of australians uh for example might remember growing up with the book uh like the 11th hour by graham bass okay which is by far and away one of the best books for kids that's ever been uh, done because it is essentially a giant puzzle. And then, yeah, you know, kids can sort of spend time in there trying to put these pieces together. Once you've got people's attention, then you can hit them with whatever message that you want. Especially, yeah. And when that message is related to something which is literally saving the world. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. All of a sudden we have a phenomenally powerful form of propaganda that the world has never seen before. One of the things I really liked in the articles, and this is something that has been spoken about, but I like the way you presented it. I feel like you've taken a different take on it. But basically saying, you've got this narcissistic slob that these guys have seen such great potential in because he's already conspiracy prone. He's a fucking moron. He's, you know, vulnerable to suggestion to a point of ridiculousness as long as you tell him that he's a good boy afterwards. Like, this guy is a perfect puppet. But... He'll also say the wrong thing at the wrong time just for a laugh, which is exactly what 4chan types love. And he won't be reserved. He'll actually be proud of being an asshole. So all these things usually electorally vulnerable. It's so bizarre that now they work so well because Donald Trump as a president is just such a piece of shit. He just eats KFC and watches Fox News. There's no way around it. He is the worst fucking possible president ever. A dope, a fucking lazy slob. And once you turn him into a god who's saving the republic from the pedophile deep state. Everything makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Then you've just got this superhero, this comic book character, and they rescue Trump, the worst candidate on the planet, who was perfect for them and shit for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they had to create this whole alternative reality, and that's uh, it looks like that's exactly what we've uh, that's what we've seen. It fucking worked. It worked. Yeah. I just cannot believe yeah. this whole thing actually fucking worked. Yeah. And, you know, you think that it wouldn't. You'd think that it wouldn't work. There's no way that that no. could work. Um, how could it possibly? Well, I mean, that's what we're going to get into, I guess. How how, how could it work? How could it work? It doesn't work with any of our existing systems. And so, you know, the fact is, if you want to create an alternative reality like that, then you need to go beyond our traditional media systems. And that's why then you go to an anonymous platform like 4chan. So 4chan is where Cicada originally posted. So we were talking about Cicada before. That was a puzzle on 4chan. Uh, So when Thomas Schoenberger took it over, uh, he kept it on 4chan. And he had some of his own puzzles on 4chan as well. He had things called uh, Pi Moby. 
Uh, okay. Seven's exposed, uh, these sorts yeah. of things. So, you know, he, he'd done a few of them. And, you know, like we were saying before, they present an opportunity to be able to, um, you know, create this narrative. They're like a portal to a different world. You know, this world where yeah. Trump is is this, this god emperor provides an entry point from that world to this world and vice versa. And every time Trump wins, you win because, you know, you're all in it together. Yeah. Yeah, and he's an outsider. Yeah. You know, he uh, he 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 does this uh, stuff which triggers the normies, yeah. etc. Um, so you know, they all get a little thrill out of it. Yeah, that. totally. It's like the memification of the presidency. I mean, like it makes total weird sense. Yeah. But like outside of 4chan, it's bizarre because you've got these people like you know these sort of boomers who do this like you know these hours of research on these hard right wing fake news websites, and you know they're sharing memes. Like you know these are people who are so far away from the 4chan ecosystem who are now sharing like pepe memes yeah well this is all it's all part of the strategy right like it's not this stuff they they did literally write it down there's a great line in uh in in one of the seasons of the wire where one one of the the underlings gets in trouble for taking notes on a criminal conspiracy um but here they have literally taken notes and and they've released their, their strategy documents and they do involve explicitly uh weaponizing this whole strategy of memetic warfare which is to create memes and then send them out um, and deliberately targeting certain communities, whether that is uh, the boomers uh, or whether that is entirely new communities uh, such as the spiritual new age. Yeah, it's it's extremely targeted. Yeah, like the spiritual new age ones is actually where I was going to lead on to because they're some of yeah. the most unlikely ones. You know, like this is one that's personally affected me. I've got friends and family who are now massively into Alan Jones and love Trump who come from fucking Mullumbimby exactly. and have been hippies their exactly. entire lives. I mean, yeah. how do you do the math on that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's sort of what we're trying to do, right? That's, that's exactly it. We're trying to do the math on that. Um, and one person you mentioned a lot is Lisa Clapier. She is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her influence is really interesting. So, I mean, look, one of the biggest challenges in, in, in all this is, is to try and you know lay it out in a way that makes sense, and that's something that's taken me many yeah. months and, and many articles. Apologies if we're jumping all over the place uh, here. Yeah. But yes, Lisa Clapier. Uh, she was a, a friend of Thomas Schoenberger. And she is someone who has explicitly talked about, you know, using this puzzle to save the world. And in her yeah. mind, saving the world involves installing a fascist leader like Donald Trump. Yeah. And this is something which isn't entirely uh, new in, in the spiritual New Age world. Uh, you know, a lot of the Nazis were, were famously based yeah. on uh, theosophical ideologies. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, people like Savitri Devi, for example, who was, you know, one of their first uh, original evangelical hippies. Yeah. And, you know, it's based around this idea of, you know, humanity is going towards a, a new awakening. And for that, you need a strong leader to challenge the old power structures. Yeah. And somehow they just managed to overlook the fact that Donald Trump is actually deeply entrenched in those power structures. Yeah, and these guys are obsessed with health and their God eats KFC. I mean, come on. That's <laughs> hilarious. But... When you look at Lisa Clapier, um, what you find, you, you find her um, basically one degree away from a lot of these people. So yeah. um, Mickey Willis, for example, yeah. is uh, he was the, the guy who directed Plandemic. And he was, in, in many ways, radicalized at Standing Rock, yeah. right? And Standing Rock is somewhere where Lisa Clapier was. And that's where she, you know... Influenced a lot of people yeah. like him. So Standing Rock was obviously this uh, this uh, qu- quite a powerful um, social movement in America where they stood up for indigenous water rights uh, against these uh, these oil companies, and that which is traditionally a lefty movement as well. Exactly, exactly, and that drew a lot of people there, um, including Lisa Clapier. And there's a lot of other stuff that's happening there as well, but we'll try and stay focused on her for the time being. Um, and she used that opportunity to radicalize a lot of people like Mickey Willis, right? And what's interesting is that when you read the uh, Q Shaman's autobiography, uh, Jay Angelia, he, he he mentions the same thing. That was one of his radicalizing moments as well. He wasn't physically there, 
but following it online, um, yeah, he, he, he mentions that, that, you know, the whole thing of Standing Rock is when he, he started to realise. So you see Lisa Clapier's influence there. That's fascinating. You also see her influence at places like Occupy LA. Yeah. Which is where, you know, also attracted a lot of lefties. And she used that to show films like Thrive 2. Yeah. Uh, Thrive 2 is, is a famous conspiracy series of films uh, produced by an heir to the Procter & Gamble fortune. And that film was instrumental in in, in radicalizing people like Jordan Sather. Yeah, wow. So when you look into Jordan Sather's story, you trace That's him back. He, he says that he was radicalized by watching Thrive at a bloody health food store. So were all these people fucking lefties? Uh, well, kind of. Yeah, you know? But, but like, this is the thing. And that's why, you know, these, this, um, this binary spectrum of left and right becomes less and less useful as we go on. Um, I love that binary political spectrum. Like, I live by it. <laughs> it's... It's handy, but it's uh yeah, it's unfortunately not going to be uh, useful for much longer. So again, you just find this woman called Lisa Clapier who who's been doing this uh, all along, and then you also find her infiltrating Anonymous, uh, right? Which is which is again like yeah, a, a, a similarly. I mean, Anonymous is a very hard thing to, to pin down, uh, but but again, you you yeah. it, it attracts these anti-authoritarian leftist types, and then she um, can then co-opt that brand and then release. Uh, videos using yeah. that mask and that whole, uh, you know, that aesthetic to uh, basically spout these kinds of narratives about, you know, taking down the cabal and all this save the children stuff. So, you know, that's one of the problems with having a um, an, an anonymous brand is that it's quite easy to co-op. Yeah, I can see how that would work. Yeah. And then one of the the other, one of the most dangerous places where we find Lisa Clapia was uh, yeah, around okay. WikiLeaks. Um, so... This was another really important part, and there is a lot to unpack here. Yeah, there's a lot to cover, but it's in the articles. Basically, uh, when Julian Assange got locked up, um, it's it's possible that people like Peter Thiel and Eric Prince saw an opportunity there, basically swooped in. And then we find someone called Trevor Fitzgibbon who starts this uh, organization called Unity for J, um, which is a big sort of, you know, let's defend Julian Assange movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We even see people like Scott Ludlam in there and we see a whole host of international lefties. Helen Razor. Helen Razor's in there. I mean, I don't think she was radicalized. <laughs> there you go. Uh, including people like uh, Robert David Steele and Cynthia. And so Unity for J is, is a movement which Lisa Clapier was, again, intimately involved with. Um, and that was, again, a radical moment for uh, for a lot of people. So we find her yeah. with her fingers in all of these pies and they all basically lead straight towards uh, Q, which is um, extremely really interesting. interesting. Yeah, so she, she is one of the, the central reasons for infecting these spaces. These spaces which were, it should be said, you know, predisposed to this kind of thing to begin with, arguably. It's yeah. not that pull factors don't exist. It's that push factors do as well. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that makes this propaganda sort of flow through to people who are, like, you know, naturally yeah. gullible, unlikely, but naturally gullible. But it's masterfully, it appears to be masterfully crafted towards an intentional destination. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, this woman's got a special place waiting for her in hell. She, if, if this is all true, she's personally impacted my life in a negative way. We really do need to, to uncover a lot more about her. And there are articles about her that are sort of, you know, they're, they're floating around, awaiting publication. And, uh, you know, we look forward to, uh, we look forward to, to learning more. 
I think she spent time in Australia. Jeez. Yeah, and she's ripped people off here. She, she's, a, you know, a con woman in, in many ways. She just takes people's money. And now she might be in the Philippines or, or she could be in America. We, like, we don't know. But she is a, a really important part of this. And she's openly uh, confessed to, to being um, cute, for, for, for being responsible for the cute drops. Now, whether that's her... Really? Yeah, whether that's her trying to, you know, overstate her involvement and try and take credit for something which she sees is really cool... You know that's possible, but it's uh, it, it, it's it's yeah. undeniable that she is uh, closely d- directly connected to all these different um, people involved with it, particularly Thomas Schoenberger, who she claims to have a very special relationship with. So if you do read the articles, there's this elaborate narrative going on, which all interweaves, but it's all based on evidence. There are receipts for almost everything. If they're email screenshots, or there are even articles for the mainstream media who've done their homework, that you've got. A lot of hyperlinks within the article, which lead to supplementary evidence. It's not just conjecture. It's not just a fanciful story, but it has got something to back it up. <clears throat> yeah. So that's that's been part of the process of this is talking to a lot of the primary sources who were involved with this. So even with, with all that aside, just looking at the evidence before us, you can see that Schoenberger is, is, is clearly involved. And then when you add in the fact that you have all of these people um, you know, pointing at him saying, yeah, this yeah. is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. And these are people who don't really have anything to gain from yes. saying that. They actually have a lot to lose because Schoenberger is someone who, who, who will literally hound you. And you know, and, and these people aren't cooperating either. Yeah. A lot of them don't like each other. Um, so so they're, yeah. not, they're not working together. Um, but they are all saying it's him, it's him, it's him. So yes, we do have a lot of these emails. And what's interesting is that when you show these to um, a lot of the journalists uh, who, who have been covering this for some time, they yeah. say, oh, well, that could just be fake. Uh, which is a really interesting logical leap because that's the same sort of logic that a lot of the yeah. people use to say, oh, well, the inauguration didn't really happen. That could just be fake. Exactly. Like, well, what, like, why are you inserting that extra step? If you want to say that it's fake, then you have to explain who faked it and, and why because, you know, making this up doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't really add up. Uh, so, yeah, we have all this stuff. It seems pretty clear. And, and the thing is that what we have, we only have what we have. It's not like in the, the Cambridge Analytica movie, The, the Great Hack, uh, Brittany Kaiser opens up her um, her BlackBerry or whatever, and we have like her entire calendar and her entire inbox. We don't have that here. We've just got these yeah. snippets of emails that we do have, but they do all paint a very clear picture of uh, of the person who's involved in creating bloody QAnon. Yeah, and all these snippets unfold into this giant story, which seems to make a lot of sense. And it fills a lot of gaps that I feel have been left in most of the conversations going on around the origins of QAnon. And I think one of the big gaps we've found recently, and I think this is actually something Jack and I are quite guilty of as well in recent history, is basically saying, okay... Q ended up being after a short, fairly short period of time where trip codes and passwords were changed around, more or less controlled by Jim and Ron Watkins and primarily Ron, who was posting his Q. Yeah, this is a really key part of it. Um, so the Watkins were obviously involved, right? There's, there's no denying that. It's on their website. They obviously have an idea. And I think that a good way to look at it is, is they're like the, the club owners of a mafia hangout. Right, so they sort of they, they control it. They have some sort of a say over what happens. Uh, they hear things. They probably know who it is, uh, and you know it's possible they were literally posting as Q themselves uh, from time to time, or perhaps you know the the drops were sent to them. Perhaps they uh, you know in a word doc there, there are various uh, typographical clues, for example, to indicate that a lot of the drops were composed in a word document and then uh, pasted into uh, in, into HN. But yeah, the. Uh, you know, the, the common theory is that um, it, it, it was the Watkins. And you find that a lot when you're on, uh, 
you know, any platform, whether it's uh, Twitter or the, or the comment section on Reddit or whatever, people just say, oh, it's it's the Watkins and they're quite happy to leave it there. Yeah, the idea that it's all just a prank that sort of went out of hand. Which is, yeah, and that's a, that's a dangerous misestimation. And it's important to look at yeah. where that um, theory, where that narrative is, is coming from. And it's largely from uh, a guy called Fred Brennan, Frederick Brennan, who was the guy who um, created 8chan. So this is someone who has not only defended the rights of uh, violent white supremacists to say how much they uh, they hate people and then go on to radicalize each other to the point where they commit mass murders of 51 Muslims at a mosque, but he actually uh, provided them that platform. And then he, you know, so he, he literally did this. And... Somehow he has become the voice, you know, the authoritative voice in this investigation, which is which is just baffling, really. And the interesting thing is that he has explicitly said that his motivation is yeah. is personal because the Watkins basically took his website from him. Uh, Jim Watkins, as you can imagine, is a horrible person and a horrible boss. So he was horrible to Frederick. Frederick's like, fuck you. Um, so, you know, he eventually had to flee the Philippines. It's a, it's a horrific story. And, uh, you know... Everyone's got their journey, and Fred's has certainly been harder than most. This isn't about him. This is about um, you know the, the the narratives that we're looking at, and and who's telling us to look where. So we're being told to look at Ron and Jim by Fred, and then Fred is then amplified by most of the key core journalists uh, who have been covering this space for you know the last two or three years. Yeah, most of the key researchers, and and, and they just they just take it. And I think it's something that bears examination because it seems yeah. pretty clear that there is something else yeah. going on. Um, yeah. Because Ron, you know, bless his little heart, he's not capable of creating something like this. You know, this is something, this is the most impactful propaganda campaign that the world has ever seen, which has brainwashed millions of people all over the world more quickly than anything. You know, Ron's, it, 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 some, some dickhead in Japan doesn't have he's that kind of power. Exactly. He's a useful idiot. So, firstly, yeah, Ron and Jim don't have the power to be able to do this. They don't have the political networks to be able to do this. They don't have the experience to be able to do this. It feels very unlikely they could amplify this to the point where it got to themselves. Like, you, they say that a yeah. lot of conspiracy theorists on 4chan and 8chan got together to amplify Q and all rallied behind it. But really, is that enough to amplify a message like this to go mainstream? Exactly. It has to have that uh, that uh, amplifying network behind it, which uh, which Ron and with the, which, which the Watkins don't have. Um, and secondly, Q is now, you know, continued without them, basically. So, so now we're seeing these conferences around America. Yeah, the conferences are incredible. I mean, like, it's such an American thing to make a conference of it. Yeah, I don't think that these theories are incompatible, you know. No. I think that it's, it's, it, it, it's not right to say that it's not Ron and Jim. It's just more than them as There's well. There's just more to it, that's yeah. all. And it's something which the, the Q research space really, really needs to um, start looking at. And it's something that that's, that's exactly what I've been trying to sound the alarm about for the last six months. You know, I've been saying, yeah. we need to look at this, we need to look at this. And the reaction from the Q watching community has been uh, fascinating in itself. Yeah. And, you know, it takes uh, people like Jack and yourself to actually uh, take notice once in a while and, um, and, and start to look into yeah, it. Yeah, because on this podcast, we don't know the answers. And when when it comes to QAnon, nobody really knows the answers. There's a whole bunch of theories floating around. But we like to hear out different perspectives on this sort of stuff. I yeah. think saying that you know what's going on is disingenuous when no one really <laughs> has an ironclad idea of what the fuck is going on. But what you've done is you've opened up this giant hole where a lot of things just weren't in the detail. And I've really enjoyed that. It's filled a lot of these gaps that I've really just sort of ironed over and not worried about. 
I think when it became clear that Q was going to stop doing drops, it started making a few people freak the fuck out. I mean, these are people who have sort of hitched their career bandwagon to this whole QAnon researcher thing, and now all of a sudden, Q is gone. They're not conspiracy theory analysts. They're not really that sort of thing. They're just QAnon people, mm. and they're scrambling for this idea of what's going to come next and how they can stay relevant. They were hoping it would go longer, clearly because their books are all coming out later this year, and it just feels like everyone's a little too late, and they're all kind of fucked. But... You know, it's one of those things, like, it doesn't really matter because Mm. the whole thing is fascinating and there is so much to unpack here in the past. It really is. It's a hell of a story. And there's there's almost limitless amounts of content there, you know? It's fascinating stuff. Which is why it's so bizarre to see, like, a lot of these, um, these, you know, key people who have been covering it um, just spending time talking about borderline irrelevant things. Like, there's just so much to cover here, whether it's uh, Lisa Clapier or Thomas Schombo or Robert David Steele or Trevor Fitzgibbon or Peter Thiel or Eric Prince, Mike Flynn, um, and there's just there's just nothing. Um, so it's it's just bizarre. It'll be interesting to see what Mike Rothschild's book comes out with. I mean, like, you know, what he's going to cover, what he's not going to cover. I'm going to get a copy because I want to find out. But, like, you know, do you think he's going to cover anything like this? Some of the stuff you've uncovered. I can guarantee you he won't. I can guarantee you he won't. Um, and, you know, he, he's someone that, that I've interacted with a lot. And I've, I've tried to, to, to share these ideas. And I've said, Mike, can we, you know, can, can we look at this? And he just insists on, he, he's explicitly come out and said, no, do not look at who's behind it. Bizarre. Only look at what makes people believe it. I can show you a tweet where bizarre. he uses almost those exact words. And it is it, it is honestly bizarre. And that's why I say it's, it, it, it's almost at least as fascinating as as QAnon itself. Because they're not mutually exclusive. It's like a different take on the same conclusion, that QAnon is turning normies into violent extremists. Exactly. Exactly. Pool factors are absolutely real. We do need to look at at, at why people believe this. It does provide a sense of community. It does provide answers to the world and all that. Uh, And those are very easy to be exploited. So he explicitly comes out and says it's not a, a, a... an operation it's not orchestrated um and then he mocks people who do you know i try and give everyone the benefit of the doubt and it's it's becoming increasingly difficult with a lot of these people who have been yeah. uh covering it for a long time because they, 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 they've attacked me personally yeah that's disappointing and, and all i've done is share the information and as you say i provide all the receipts um and it just gets viewed a certain way so you know there are various ways that you can look at it like you know these people are conspiracy debunkers by trade so they're sort of predisposed to deride anything that looks like a conspiracy yeah, i've heard theories like this being classified as blue anon like a sort of democrat QAnon type thing which is a bit dismissive yeah but i mean at the end of the day everything's a conspiracy and this is you know it's just a, it's a relatively natural extension of propaganda especially when you look at the history of people like uh, roger stone and steve bannon and all these other people it's, it's, it's perfectly understandable. They've, they've bragged about it. They've told us their entire strategy. And in your articles, you know, as you said, they've written it down. Like, you know, you've got documents that back this sort of stuff up, which is just fascinating. So look, take a day off, maybe tell work you've got coronavirus and take two weeks off. But, <laughs> you know, you're going to need some time to read these. It will take two weeks to, to, to read all the links in them as well. Yeah. Oh, big time. There's so many links and so many articles attached to it. To- Oh, it's just ridiculous. Basically, order some Adafinil, maybe buy some Ritalin from, from kids, uh, shell some Dexies, because it's going to take a long time to get through these articles. But it is rewarding, and it's fascinating stuff. It's really yeah. worth a look. So moving forward, we've all got our little sort of hot takes on what's going to happen next. So what is going to happen next? So you've mentioned the conferences, which is a huge sign that QAnon is far from dead. But where to from here? Is it the same guys we're even talking about before? Or are we going to bring in new guys as the establishment GOP starts to get involved? Like, where where are we going? Okay, so yeah, this is where it gets really interesting as well. Because as a lot of people will be able to say, it it is... uh 
there's a largely self-sustaining element to it now. Um, but I think personally, what I think we need to be uh, on the lookout for most is uh, leaving the the Q character aside altogether and picking up the model of using a, uh, a powerful insider releasing secret information through the internet. So there's going to be a new Q after this? Yes, there is going to be a new one and it is going to be... Aliens, Joel. It is going to be aliens from the Arcturian galaxy. Oh, come on, fuck off. That's, that's, it's, it's happening right now, um, and it's it's. There are Facebook groups um, with tens of thousands of people, uh, let alone all the telegrams, um, where aliens are making contact. There are people who are baking all sorts of things, like little light fragments in any of their photographs, no. and aliens are channeling messages. And um, it is already uh, strongly imbibed with. Uh, pro-Trump propaganda. Obviously, once tr- once Trump drops off, it's going to be just a general fascistic agenda, um, and that's what it's going to be. So it's very depressing the idea that the first contact with aliens is going to be is going to be a message about Donald Trump. I <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I've um, I, I I did a little tweet thread a, a day or two ago um, outlining a lot of it. Good, great, and yeah, that's what we're already seeing. So there are groups, uh, uh, the Galactic Federation of Light. Uh, the Arcturians, the Palladians, um, the Galactic Council, all these sorts of things. And there are people who claim to be channeling them, and it's uh, it's happening. Yeah. So these bullshit artists that are channeling aliens, are they doing it for a grift? Is this about money to them or what? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the money is an interesting thing. and uh, you know, I t- It's hard to see the difference between a scam and someone who truly believes their own bullshit. It's hard to say, right? I think that a lot of people are, we should say, are genuinely brainwashed into believing it. So once you hit people with enough of this already, then they do think that they are channeling and they do get that. They also get off on the uh, the social media validation themselves of those whole likes and shares and comments. Um, I fucking love social media validation. I thrive on likes. Not that I get very many. <laughs> don't, don't, don't we all? We can't fault anyone for that. But yeah, there is also uh, quite clear political propaganda um, imbibed into it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that it um, wouldn't be surprising at all to find a folder in the office of Psy Group somewhere that does exactly this, that says, okay, now we're going to set up these, um, these uh, Arcturian groups and 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 we'll do that and that's what we're going to do so all we got to do is is just pepper it out and they are they're experts at this this is literally their trade and this is you know we have to reckon with the fact that this is now the world we live in where these people run operations like this aliens man like are we really that stupid uh yeah yes joel unfortunately we are yes (laughs) we are tens of thousands of people and the thing is if you think that q was powerful you know i think that if you think that people are going to storm the capital because uh a government insider told them to wait till you see what people are going to do when they think that they're being told to do it by their galactic um and you know i mean we saw it with heaven's gate right this isn't a new thing but people will literally put their lives on the line so this is this is going to get really dark and really tragic and, and and it's going to happen and it's already, you know, predisposed to sit into those spaces like the whole spiritual new age thing. Because this is, I mean, ultimately, this is the end game of the spiritual new age thing, right? When, you know, this is, this is the whole point. Yeah, I mean, the whole great awakening, right? Galactic ascension. And the thing that's almost frustrating about this is the fact that a big part of the pilled community now are the new agey types, you know? And they're the ones I come across the most because, yep. you know, yep. my background. But like, you know, general rednecks and stuff, they're always going to be whinging about freedom and something weird. You know, they're just weird people. You get yep. Alex Jones types that you just generally ignore. But then you've got these real upper middle class types who spend a lot of money on organic food and who were, I mean, all intents and purposes, reasonable people before this just hit them in the face. The, the, the point of propaganda is not to convince your base. I mean, look, we all like uh, riling up the base. 
but the most effective propaganda campaign will reach new voters. And that's what we saw happen. And that is just almost impossible these days. I mean, try and make me vote liberal. I fucking double dare you. Go ahead. Give it a shot. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's the thing. Uh, and, and yet, this is, this is something that they've done. They, they have people, you know, we've got y- y- your friends talking about Alan Jones and, um, and, 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 and all the rest of it, right? Which is just... It, it, it's utterly bizarre. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack there about, about you know, the psychological conditions that are necessary for doing that. Um, and, and that, you know, a lot of work has been done, a lot of valuable work has been done to that end. But we also need to recognize that people are being pushed. Um, and that's that's a key part of it, which has gone dangerously overlooked by a lot of the q Yeah, well, look, I'm glad you're filling in the gap, man. Because, look, you know, like I've seen a lot of stuff and this stuff is kind of unique to me. And, you know, I also found out that Blackwater means shit, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> Fuck that guy. There you go. But, you know, there's heaps <laughs> of moments like that, which I really enjoy, that break up the intensity of the articles because they really are very long and they're full of information. It could make a book, basically, but in the form that it takes on Medium... I do like Medium. It's perfect. You know, you've got all the receipts there and the hyperlinks. You could put them in a book and it'd tell a story, but you wouldn't have that same way of portraying an expanded message with all the elements from outside and within. Yeah, it's something. I mean, look, I, like I'm, I'm just, I'm just a guy, right? Like I'm just a, like, and a guy, like a guy on the other side of the world trying to watch this. It, it, it's never supposed to, you know, like I'm not interested in in, in solving this in one hit. The, the point of these articles was to try and. Um, you know, offer other journal, like other professional investigative journalists, um, an entry point, right? Like I'm saying, someone look into this, someone look into this, someone look into this, because yeah, someone who's actually being paid to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, that'd be fucking handy. Um, because I mean, yeah, the way I say it, we're like we're under attack. You know, this is uh, this is this is like the Nazis are running around with a literal brainwashing gun, um, and it's something where I'm going to have a lot of trouble, you know, stopping sounding the alarm uh, until people yeah. start taking it seriously. So the point of me writing these articles was to, um, yeah, offer other people. Uh, an entry point uh, into it, um, and that's why it's, it's it's that's why it's great to talk to people like um, you know Jack and yourself because um, it, it, it needs it needs to be looked into, and it's going to be it's such an interesting story. It's so fascinating, you know. Even if you just like a good conspiracy, I mean, this is fantastic. You know, there's so many elements to it. It's I often use the, uh, the metaphor that it's like a Tom Clancy novel, except yeah. it actually is. It's based on true events, and one of the guys <laughs> involved helps co-write Tom Clancy novel, Steve Pajanic or something? Pajanic, yeah. So we joke about it being a Tom Clancy novel, but it actually is a Tom Clancy novel, except people think it's real. Well, I mean, it, it literally is, right? And that's uh, that's another fascinating part of it, which, again, you can read in the articles, but, you know, he was the arguably one of the first to start talking about this idea of Trump being selected by military intelligence. And guess who he's friends with? Robert David Steele. And guess who he was working with? Thomas Schoenberger. It all bloody ties back. It really messes with the idea of the truth is stranger than fiction. Like there's truth and fiction and God knows what in between. There's a lot of shit. There's there's more shit that's true in there than we would like to admit. Well, I'm going to go outside and stare directly at the sun and wait for the aliens to tell me what to do. And I'm sorry, look, if that's to take you out, then I'm sorry, man. It's nothing personal. No, I get it. You do what you got to do. Yeah, because like that's reasonable now. That's just where we're at. Look, that was the worst fucking answer. Aliens is genuinely the worst thing you could possibly have fucking said there. That has ruined my day. <laughs> I'm sorry to do it to you. Not mine. I think there'll be a few listeners at home and in the car just bashing their head against the wall or their steering wheel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I wonder how many will have been able to see that coming, right? Because if you pay attention to, uh, to to enough of the Q groups, it's been in there for a long time. Like they have been looking at. Uh, solar flares and all that sort of stuff that was kind of like I noticed that at the beginning 
Um, I haven't seen any of this stuff yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's there. You are clearly deep in the mangroves. And look, someone's got to do it. And we appreciate your work. So look, everyone go and check these articles out. We're going to paste them in the shit posting group. We'll paste them in the show notes. If you search for Hamilton Hume on Medium, you can find them fairly easily. And you're also on Twitter on at Hamilton underscore Hume with a zero instead of an O because they really are fantastic. There's a whole series of them. They kind of overlap at times, which is fantastic because you get a real idea of where things are. The linear nature of the scrambled message that he's compiling here is incredible. The way it all seems to walk in a straight line despite being all over the place is a true art form. They're fantastic to read. They take a while. Go get some drugs. Have a big read. And thank you so much for coming on the, the show. Really appreciate your thank time. Thank you, Joel. Cheers, Absolute man. pleasure. Appreciate it. Another thanks to Hamilton Hume for that fascinating take on the origins of Q. The idea that aliens are now giving these idiots their marching orders is something that concerns the fuck out of me. And we will cover that in another episode because I think there's a lot to flesh out there. But for now, we must look north to the Northern Rivers in the week in Pete Evans. Now, it has been a huge week in Pete Evans huge, because our boy huge. is back. Yes, back. the social media God break only lasted a little while. He isn't fully back yet, though. He's still a little bit half-cocked. And for the most part, he's sharing a stream of Tucker Carlson clips as usual. <laughs> Anti-vax nonsense, nothing new there. And a few shit memes about the lockdown, but it's pretty banal stuff. Right. He shared a loonig cartoon recently where the peeled cartoonist claims that unvaccinated people are going to hell which felt like a bit of a bizarre moment of accidental clarity for the artist who has become more and more unhinged over the past year or yeah. so. Yeah, well, it, it's been it's a it's a long, slow process. It's been going yeah. on for many, many years now with Michael Lunig. God only knows, he must have had the contract with Fairfax from, from heaven because, yes. because uh, they must be at some point looking at him going, I just wonder if we can't, you know, get just someone nudge him off. a bit younger. Can a kid do it? Yes, yes, exactly. Editorial cartoonist. He's not even the editorial cartoonist. But anyway, that's Michael. God bless him. Jesus Christ. God bless him because no one else fucking will. So he's becoming a bit of an anti-vaxxer hero. And his intention to portray a message about vaccine passports being terrible was, you know, that was what he was trying to do. All I saw was a very satisfying image of a selfish (laughs) anti-vaxxer being sent straight to hell. Good. (laughs) That's where they're going. That's it. That's it. And probably soon. So looking at these things on face value, they're really not a big deal. Just usual trash. But the comments tell the real story for me because these people, they're fucking paralyzed with fear. People are claiming they're close to a nervous breakdown. People believing the lockdown is some sort of bizarre extension of Chinese communist power. And they're feeling like they're constantly at battle. And the war never ends for these people because shit peddlers like Pete need their flock to be terrified and anxious at all times. Otherwise, they stop being relevant. Mm. Anxiety is great for business. You know, here, just buy some CBD oil to calm you down after I made you terrified for your life. It's only 50 bucks plus postage. Pete hates a lockdown. He doesn't think they work, doesn't think the virus is real, doesn't see the point. Mm. What Pete really sees is that people will have to cancel out of his retreats, one of his few remaining sources of income. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Oh, yeah. Nothing gets Pete out of bed in the morning quite like a pack of cash. And having to cancel the retreat is enough to make poor old Pete lose his fucking mind. <laughs> so spare a thought for old Pete, stuck in his multi-million dollar estate in Northern Rivers with all his animals and toys. Oh, he's in lockdown. With he's, no not in lockdown. He's, not, he's not in lockdown. He's not in lockdown. I don't know. Maybe he's, 
let's face it, does he does he even leave his fucking evolved sanctuary ever anyway? Why? Like what to go get toilet paper? Yeah, so, it's only look, it's only Greater Sydney. Yeah, it's only yeah. It's, it's only ah, Greater Sydney him. that's in lockdown. So so he's he's walking the earth, you know. Yeah. Well, he's uh, out look, and about. I don't think anything's changed for him anyway. Can't be good for business, though. No, it's not good for business. So, look, Ooh. I'm just going to say that it's hard to feel a lot of sympathy for him. Here's a man yeah, who makes his I living can't. on gaslighting people into thinking that love and light is actually a state of perpetual fear and anxiety. That is not the makings of a good person. So, this week, from a lockdown Sydney home, I'm going to say, just casually, fuck you, Pete. You may be a friend of the podcast, <laughs> but it's a fucking tenuous relationship. Tenuous. Because you didn't know it's shit close. about fucking lockdowns. You've got nothing interesting to add to the situation. So, well, you know what? Go on another social media sabbatical. Give your cult some breathing space. It worked wonders for them last week, and honestly, they need a break. It might be bad for business, but it's just the right thing to do. And you have been listening to the Conditional Release Program with your host, Jack the Insider and Joel Hill. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. And if you've enjoyed our bullshit, throw us a five-star review on your podcast app. Jack can be found on Twitter on at Jack the Insider and Joel on at Crunchy Moses with a K. We set up a Facebook page. You can find fairly easily if you just search for it. But promoting a podcast is easier said than done. It really mm-hmm. is embarrassing to share your own podcast. It's, you know, it's- you Can't do it. It's like masturbating into a mirror. I only Mm. do it occasionally. When I do, I feel dirty. So if you could share this episode or a past episode you like more than this one, if you thought this was shit, you know, share another one. But please share it on social media. It's how these things grow. the other one. Mm. Yeah, that's very good. Very good. That's a sales pitch. You should work for Pete. (laughs) And finally, all feedback, tips, and death threats should be sent to the conditional release program at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you even if it's just for you to tell us what the best angle is that you'll get a Roger Stone just to look at his Nixon tattoo. And I don't really want to think about that anymore. I don't want to think about Roger Stone without a shirt. But I also want to say as a last second thing, Thank you, P.O.G. Sue, for drawing us. Oh, that was lovely. It's so ridiculous. May the juice JV with you. You're a, you're a good lad. See you later, listeners. Thanks, guys. See you Until next time. Until next week. Bye.